Um, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 3 if you have them with you. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. The ushers are going to pass the buckets. You know what to do about that. Um, <clears throat> this is a scripture that, I mean, I've just, I've watched movies about this scripture. I've read this scripture a bunch of times in my life. But it's been keeping me up at night recently. This scripture has gotten under my skin. This scripture has been bothering me. And today I'm going to want it to bother you too. You're welcome. Um, you know what the first words are that God says to Moses? Take off your shoes. That's not a very warm greeting, really. It's not like if somebody comes to your house, just like, take off your shoes and then you get a hug. No hugs till the shoes are off. <laughs> Exodus 3, 2, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Here's the thing. Moses has been working every inch of this field for 40 years. 40 years with no burning bush. 40 years with no voice from the heavens. 40 years with nothing special going on. 40 years of ordinary. And God shows up and says, now is a holy moment, and beneath your feet is holy ground. Just an ordinary guy living an ordinary life in an ordinary place, and all of a sudden, he comes face to face with a holy moment. And I have been intrigued by this idea for the last few weeks about the holy moments that live all around us, and whether or not we will see them, and if we see them, whether or not we will lean into them. Holy ground in the Hebrew is apartness. It's sacredness. It's a consecrated thing. It's a holy portion or holy things. It's interesting that God lights a bush on fire to get Moses' attention. That's like the showstopper. And then he says, no, 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 don't come any closer. Stay where you are. Plant where you are. That's where the holy ground is. I always want to move toward the shiny, noisy thing. I always want to move further in to like, ooh, what's happened over here? Oh, there's noise over here. Oh, I'm a little bit ADD like that. But I just think this is interesting that God says, no, don't come closer to this. Plant where you are. You are on the ground you're standing on for a reason. And the reason is God wants to talk to him. Holy moments are all around us, and they represent a couple of things. First of all, holy moments are a place of vision. They're a place of being truly seen and a place where we can truly see God and his world. So the scripture goes on to say, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. They've been in this misery for 400 years. There's not a single Israelite except for Moses who's known a single day of freedom. They don't have a grandparent who knew freedom. They don't have a great-grandparent who knew freedom. They've been slaves for 400 years. And God says, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And listen to this line. If you wonder who God really is, this line can help you understand it. And I am concerned for their suffering. God is not bet Midlering us from a distance. God is concerned for our suffering. And so because God is concerned, what does he do? He stops a guy in a field and says, take off your shoes. This moment is holy and you're about to be involved in my plan. So I have come down to rescue them from the, land, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, 
a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of a bunch of bad guys. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, what's the word? Go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is a moment where God sees Moses and he sees the world around him and Moses sees God and he sees the world around him as God sees it. When you step into a holy moment, God is almost always going to show you something about him, something about yourself, and something about your world. Almost always. There's going to be some kind of transformational reason because as long as I've known God, he's not a big time waster in my life. He's usually got something that he wants to say if we'll stop to listen. The, the holy moments are a place of vision, and holy moments are a place of wrestling. Moses says he, he's having an epiphany. God is speaking to him, and he says, but Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what I would like to tell you in this moment, I would really like to tell you that God said, you, Moses, are awesome. You're able. You're great. Go get him, tiger. But God doesn't say that. He says, I will be with you. Gentlemen, when your wife asks, do I look good in this outfit? The answer is not, doesn't matter, I will be with you and I look great. <laughs> Not the answer. And this is just what God does to Moses. He's like, you're right, buddy. You're not awesome. You're adequate at best. But I'm awesome. What might we do together? I don't remember who the guy is that, that played in the highest scoring game of all time, Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan got like 63 points or something, and he got like two, and he was like, that was my best game ever. Me and Michael Jordan got 65 points <laughs> between the two of us. <laughs> it's just, that's how we, we get to join with God, but don't be afraid if it takes a little time to stand in your holy moment and say, God, I don't feel ready. I don't feel adequate. I don't feel okay with this. You're going to have to convince me. And in fact, Moses argues with God for an uncomfortably long time. I'm not even going to read all the ways Moses comes back to God and says, I don't think you're right about this. In fact, he does it so long that it says God's anger burns against him. Suddenly, the bush is not the only thing burning. And now it's like, God's my, I'm mad at you. Stop it. Don't believe in yourself. You don't need to. Believe in me. I'm with you. And then the wilderness, the holy place is a place of resourcing. God doesn't just meet Moses with vision and a mission, and he doesn't just meet him with reassurances about his own ability. He meets him with a staff. He meets him with some supernatural power, and he gives him a spokesperson. It's always a little funny to me that Moses is like, I can't go in without, I mean, I, you will be with me, great, but can I get my brother? My brother will be great. <laughs> like, who wants their brother to go with them anyway? But it's great. God gives him a staff and power and a spokesperson who will speak for him. And then most of all, God gives Moses himself. You're not going to be on your own. Holy moments are a place of resourcing. And holy moments are also temporary I mean, we want to live in a holy moment sometimes. 
I don't know if you've been following the Asbury Revival, but I loved the moment where they said, it's time to go home. It's time to take this to our world. And I think this is just a beautiful moment where we want to build something here. We see it on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses shows up there too. Moses and Elijah and Jesus are meeting together and Peter and James and John are watching it. And Peter has this great idea. Let's build houses here. Let's not go down to the riffraff. It's too icky down there. Let's stay up here and just be in the holy moment. And God's like, nope, that's not where you get to plant. Holy moments are meant to send you out. Holy moments of divine presence are meant to stop us, reveal truth to us, empower us, and send us. A holy moment might look like a forced pause, a delayed flight, a missed bus, a long traffic light, a slow line at the grocery store. It might look like a spiritual nudge or sort of a shoulder tap. Winston Churchill said, there comes a time in each man's life, that very special moment where he is figuratively tapped on the shoulder and invited to do a very special work unique to to him and fit to his talents. What tragedy if that moment finds him unprepared or unqualified for what would have been his finest hour. Winston and Moses agree. Sometimes you get a tap on the shoulder. Sometimes God shows up at the red light and says, pray for fill in the blank. Holy moment could look like thinking of someone you haven't seen in a while in the morning and then running into them later in the day. It might look like seeing a story on the news about famine or hurricane or human trafficking and feeling something more than just compassion. You might feel a push to move toward that issue and help and, and send hope or send money. Um, in 1988, we were traveling to Bend from Portland, me and my husband and our 13-month little baby girl, and we were hit by a drunk driver, and it was a really bad accident. Our baby was flown up in air life, and we didn't know if she would make it, and I was in an ambulance, and my husband had gotten a concussion, and he was just walking the road, didn't know who he was or where he was. He, in fact, they didn't even know quite who he belonged to because it was just all such a mess. And we made it. Spoiler. The baby girl's right there. We're all good. Um, but it was bad, and it was hard. And uh, we went to church a couple of weeks later, and somebody that we hadn't met before came up to us, and he said, Listen, I was driving from Bend to Portland that day, and I saw the car accident, and I didn't know who it was, but I just felt God tell me to pull over and pray. And I pulled over, and I prayed hard for you. And I just want you to know that someone was praying for you specifically in that moment. And my husband and I were just so blessed by that, just to know that God had covered us in a way that we didn't even know had happened and that then he had told us about that. We never saw the guy again, but when my husband got diagnosed with ALS and was nearing the end of his life, we got an email and the email said, hey, you probably don't remember me, but I'm the guy that pulled over and prayed for you when you had your accident. And I just want you to know I'm praying now, love, Cliff Brady. If you don't know that my husband now is named Cliff Brady, what a wild coincidence. (laughs) My, just one man, and he's never done it before, and he's never been asked to do it since. 
But in that moment, God asked a man to pray for the woman who would become his wife and the baby who would become his stepdaughter. Because God is so smart, you guys, <laughs> and so good. So good to, to, for that investment to happen so many years ago. And there was, he had no immediate idea of what that meant. It was 25 years down the road before I was like, I'm going to marry you because of that. <laughs> I didn't, that's not how that went. But you know, <laughs> there's the, the God who stops you in your tracks knows what he's doing with your time. And he will use your energy and your time in ways you cannot believe and you may not see even until the other side of eternity. Billy Graham said, heaven is filled to answers with prayers that have never been prayed. What if when we get there, we get to see what happened because we stopped and listened and wrestled and received and went? So if this is true, why are shoes a problem? Because shoes are like my favorite thing. Why are shoes a problem in a holy moment? I think metaphorically, it's because shoes keep us numb to the earth to which we're called. There is something, I mean, even just physically, you take off your shoes and you stand on the ground, you feel it beneath your feet. There's a moment where you mark yourself. You stand on the timeline to which you've been called. You stand on the timeline of human history. You connect your feet to that purpose and you say, I am here. I feel it, and it is hard to feel the moment sometimes because life is hard and our world is hard. It is easy to numb ourselves to what's going on around us. It's easy to keep our eyes on Jesus and never look our, turn our eyes toward what's going on around us, and it's hard. Practically, our shoes can look like a really busy agenda. They can look like prejudice that keeps us from reaching out to somebody that we don't receive can look like fear or judgment or pride. Our shoes can look like our own heartache. Sometimes when Jesus shows up and taps me on the shoulder, I'm like, sorry, I am sad enough already. I am not ready to see another sad thing yet. And he's like, you can do this. I am with you. Sometimes our shoes can look like hopelessness or inadequacy. Sometimes our shoes look like closed heartedness. I love that song, I'll climb this mountain with my hands wide open, with my heart wide open to whatever God is wanting to do. I periodically stop and I think, is there anyone that I don't want to run into at Safeway? <laughs> How, because if there's someone I don't want to run into at Safeway, my heart is probably closed to that person. And that's not like Jesus. And I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live dreading running into anybody. I want to live with my heart wide open. I have really strong political views. I don't say I'm up here, but I have strong political views. And I've recently felt my heart closing toward people I perceive have different ones. That's not okay. Is it okay to have my views? Sure. Is it okay to close my heart to the other side? No. That's not the way of Jesus. And there is a holy moment that's found when I walk into every room, every restaurant, every coffee shop, every library, every business, every piece of ordinary ground with a wide open heart to whatever Jesus wants to do there. Another thing about shoes that's a problem is they keep us ready to run. You know that if you have small kids, because you know the very first thing you say when you're about to wrangle them all into the minivan is what? Get your shoes on. 
You got to get your shoes on if we're going to get out of this place. First thing you do when you get home, take your shoes off. Settle in. We're in such a hurry all the time. And so taking our shoes off is, we're willing to lay aside the distractions, the noisier things, the more urgent things, and say, I'm just planted here. I'm not going to run from your presence. It's conditioned in us by our own nature, but also by our world to just keep running, outrun our own emotion, outrun our own feelings, outrun our own hurt, outrun our own sickness. But God says, stop. Let me get my eyes on you. Let me tell you how to get healed. Let me tell you how to be sent. The way of Jesus is the way of presence. He was present to his father, and that made him present to his world. We watch him interrupt his journey to heal. We watch him interrupt his, uh, his trip to uh, Galilee to stop at a well and offer a drink to a shady lady. We, and then he looks right into her eyes and right into her and offers hope to her weary soul. He stops and he becomes present to a woman he ought not even look at. We watch him pull his boat up to an island, get out and go onto the island, heal a demon-possessed guy, and get back in his boat and go. There's no sermon. There's no altar call. There's no anything else. What a waste of time. Just pull over, focus on the demoniac that nobody wants to talk to, get back in the boat and go. We watch Jesus be entirely present to his world. We watch him, even on the cross, turn his attention toward the man suffering next to him. We watch him turn his attention to the jeering crowd and care for their forgiveness. I think Jesus said, Father, forgive them, not because he had to convince his father, but because he wanted them to remember that he had said it. Jesus was entirely present, and he is entirely present here. The same Jesus that saw the thief on the cross sees you. And I wonder, will we do the same? Will we stop in the moment on our timeline to which we've been called and look for the holy all around us? Will we look for what God is doing in the ordinary and mundane and the nothing special? Will we ask him to call us into something greater than we expect? There's one moment that happens every Tuesday here on our campus. Uh, one of our initiatives here at Before is to help end poverty in our city. And 25 kids from Barnes School come here for an after-school program every Tuesday. And they are in deep poverty and they receive good food and fun, creative teaching, and they are surrounded by adults who care for them. Meh. And next week, we will nearly double this program 
as 25 kids from William Walker Elementary join our after-school program. And in the spring, we want to make this program happen four days a week. Do you understand how this is going to move the needle on poverty for 70 families that suddenly know they can drop their kid off at school in the morning and they are well cared for until 5 o'clock? This program is run by ordinary Moses people, people who have just decided... I don't have an early childhood education master's, but I could take off my shoes and settle in to this moment. I could serve some food. I could teach a class on something. I talked with Mark Nicholas, the head of our Mercy and Justice Department this week. His team is passionate about this program. And he said, we just need people who would come do an art class or teach a dance class. And I'm sure there are a thousand things people are good at. Maybe you tell the best dad jokes. You're on for a little improv at after school. Maybe you want to paint some faces. Maybe you want to just come and be a good presence there, be a stabilizing force. Whatever it is, this could be your holy moment. It's two hours and you could change lives. I mean, that doesn't just come along every day. In two hours, you get to have an impact that could, you could see the results from the banisters of heaven on a kid whose life you served. When we serve the least of these, we enter into holy, sacred moments. We do, and it's beautiful. If that's you, that's not going to be for everyone. I get it. I, I love it when people say things like, please, God, don't send me to Africa. I'm like, I think God loves Africa more than that. Well, he's not going to send you if, if you don't want to go. <laughs> I mean, maybe he'll send you somewhere that you love instead. I, if it's like, please, God, don't make me work with elementary kids, maybe this isn't your holy moment. But if you're willing to see Mark said, you don't have to work every week. You don't have to work every month even. Just be willing to show up and see what you think. My husband, I talked to him about it last night, and he was like, I could do that, and my employer has a program. He'd pay me to go. Just find out. Maybe this is something. There are all kinds of ways to step into moments at this church. There's helping with kids. There's helping with youth. There's helping with all kinds of things. This is a holy moment, and I am asking you, if B4 is your home, would you consider for the next few months just taking off your shoes and settling in? Because we love you and God sees you and he is calling you out of ordinary and into the sacred and you guys it is a wild ride is it always successful nope is it always a learning growing adventure yes and so we're gonna sing this song and you can respond however you want. I'm not going to boss the way you respond to Jesus. This is a moment, and I'm asking you to lean in in whatever way you want. If you want to kneel, if you want to stand, if you want to pray with someone, there are elders who have lanyards on there around if you want to pray with them. Honestly, good old-fashioned revival. If you want to come pray at the altar, come pray at the altar. This is your house. Settle in during this song, and let's listen to the Holy Spirit for what he wants to say about the moment that you are living in.